You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Such a treat to do this tonight. Hope it encourages your life and it speaks to you. Amen. Because I believe, uh, I believe God gave me something to share with you and that'll give you some help in this particular season. It's been a crazy few years uh, being people of God and just being human beings in general. It's been so unique. Uh, everything is different. Things have changed. Some have gone the same like they used to be. Some things will never go back that way. Um, but I, I just feel like tonight the Lord laid something on my heart um, to give to you from the Word that'll help you. And it's from this simple title, which is also a question that I want you to ask yourself from the onset of tonight's lesson. Uh, I'm talking to you from this title slash question, what is your worry? What is your worry? Everyone say worry. Have you ever worried before? No, maybe so. Yeah, we've all experienced some worry. So before we go to prayer, we're going to do a little exercise. Everybody take a big, deep breath. I let that all out. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness today. Thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, your word would touch our hearts. I pray it would find good soil and take root. I pray, God, you let us know that you calm our worried soul in your presence. And we thank you for the truth today that we're going to talk about and how it's going to help us. We bless you in Jesus' name. And we said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Jesus asks a very pointed question, and that's something that Jesus did very well. He, he knew how to ask deep, soul-searching questions. There was nothing random with Jesus, nothing coincidental. He was extremely purposeful. And when he spoke, he spoke with directness. He spoke with purpose and design. And the questions he asked always led to, or would lead us to, deep, deep possible changes within our lives. I still think God wants to change some people. Amen? Amen. So Jesus asks this question that I want to ask you as well. And it's found in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 27. And I think we all need to look at it and ask ourselves the same question that Jesus is asking in the Word. He asks this question, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Does worry really add any value to your life. In fact, if you look at some medical research, and you get the, you get the, the complete opposite of that. Worry has no positive impact on you as a person. In fact, it actually has a very negative impact on your physical health and also on your emotional and your your mental health. So Jesus kind of, he puts the shovel in the soil and he's going to start digging. Can anybody, can you 
add any value or any single moment to your life through worrying. Now, without showing a hands here tonight, we probably have some, some worriers here. <laughs> worry warts, if you will. Worry people who just worry, and you worried long before social media came on the scene. Now you're worried 24-7. You know, caffeine and social media are a worrier's worst nightmare. Worries. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Even all the way back in the Old Testament, we have some very keen insights on worry. Worry weighs a person down. It weighs you down. The word used for worry in this passage is a word that we're all familiar with. It's the word anxiety. Those suffering from anxiety can experience intense feelings of sadness, anger, hopelessness, fatigue, and various other symptoms. And it's often triggered by life's circumstances and it pulls you down into a very deep, dark place. And believe it or not, there are numerous biblical references to this condition of anxiety. It's there. Scripture describes the struggles of people who suffered from it. Even though they were faithful servants of God, they still suffered with it. These people did not suffer because they were sinners. I'll say it again. People who suffered from worry or anxiety in the Bible, they didn't experience that because they were bad people because they were sinners, or God was taking out some type of temper tantrum in their life. They suffered because they were human, and they were susceptible to severe pressures of life, just like you and I are. Being a character in the Bible didn't exempt anybody from the realities of being human. And I think what's really troubling to me about worry, and I've been pinned before a worry warp, is that you really are, you ever heard the saying, you are what you eat? I wish for one day God would let that happen. It'd be funny. Hot dogs running around. Water, watermelons. Sushi, you know, running all over the place. You've heard you are what you eat. Well, you are what you worry about. Because it consumes you. It has a way of working its way into your conversations, impacting your closest relationships. You spend enough time with somebody, you're going to get what's worrying them. It's like, blah, it just comes out, doesn't it? You're going to get the high, nice day, great weather we're having, and did you hear about this? And they're going to blow up and worry. Worry, it has a way of just working its way in all the time. Much of the time, worry is an idea that we believe to be true or an outcome that we feel is going to happen in our lives at some point. With that being the case, we begin to live according to our worry. So worry leads the way we walk, talk, and live. That's a pretty dark road to walk, isn't it? When worry is your companion. Dallas Willard, incredible theologian, wrote this, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. The ideas that we believe in our minds and then let them into our bodies give shape to the trajectory of our souls. They shape how we live 
And they shape who we become. And when we think of faith as something as only for religious people, don't we? If you say faith, and I've got faith, and you've got faith, and they've got faith, then we, we kind of piece it together in this puzzle that we would say, well, they must have some type of religious background, or they believe in God, or they're a Christian, or some other denomination. They just, they have faith. But to have faith in something is simple, really. It just simply means that we live as though it's true. That's faith. Our faith shapes us. How about having so much faith in what you're worrying about that you begin to live your life like that? And I've, I've been there. I've been like this. Kind of hard to admit this from the pulpit, but there have been days in my life, in my walk with God, where I've had more faith in my worry than I have had in God. I've had more faith that he's not going to come through than he is going to come through. Am I the only one that's thought that way? Okay, whoo, thank you, Brother Hanscom. But we get like that, don't we? Monitor your speech. Monitor and, and kind of filter your thoughts. You're, you begin to have faith in the negative outcome. It's just, it's going to happen. And when that begins to be the case, you begin to live your life and get things in order to an event that hasn't even happened yet. But you're convinced so much that it's going to happen. You begin to set life in order according to your worry. And I think sometimes Jesus kind of stands back and goes, Oh, by the way, hello, I'm, I'm over here. You know, a lot of times in Scripture, yeah, there are moments when Jesus in the New Testament, when he would walk up and physically get someone's attention. But much of the time, he would yell and speak and say, Oh, over here, and have you heard, and this is that, and it was all in an attempt to just get people's attention off what they were doing and onto him. And I think sometimes when we get to walk in step with our worry that Jesus is doing jumping jacks saying, oh, by the way, there's another side of the story. Uh, it's not just your worry. I, I have something to say about that too. But sometimes we have so much faith in our worry that we don't give Jesus the time to speak to us on what faith can do in our situation. Amen? So a lot of times we live according to our worry. I don't want to live my life according to my worry. Amen? Amen. Hope it's okay tonight. There's an amazing Bible hero. His name is Elijah. You've heard of Elijah before. Powerful prophet. He, he was the man. He did amazing supernatural events with God's help. And in 1 Kings 18, we kind of get this. This is like Elijah's chapter of all chapters. This man did so many amazing things through the power of God in one chapter that we're like, my goodness, this guy's an all-star. You know, he, he's, he's captain of captains. This guy is, he's the man. He's the greatest. He's the warrior. You know, he, he does it all. Like Elijah, just get out of his way. He opens the chapter by confronting a king who wants to kill him, Ahab. No problem. Walk right up and talk to King Ahab, who Ahab hates his guts, doesn't want to be around him, and wants him dead. And Elijah's like, let's talk, man. Let's talk. He didn't have any fear at all towards Ahab. In the same chapter, he takes on 400 
and 50 false prophets who worship a God named Baal. Takes them on. He takes them on by building an altar, throwing a sacrifice on it, drenching that thing in, in water, and digging a trench around the sacrifice and filling that up with water. And then he goes, oh, watch this. And he calls down fire from heaven, and it consumes the water in the trench. It burns up the sacrifice, and then he kills all 450 prophets. Just an ordinary day for Elijah. Just doing it. And, and after that... He predicts that the drought that they're experiencing is going to end. So, oh, by the way, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand, and that means rain's coming, and the drought's going to end, and we better get along real quick. And as people are taken off in their chariots, Ahab being one of them, the Lord gives Elijah special strength to gird up his robe and run faster than a chariot with horses. This guy's insane. He's like the all-star. His face is like, it just it's Elijah. I'm the man. That's chapter 18. It's like, where do you go from there, man? Only going up, aren't you, Elijah? Only going up, Elijah. You've had so many cool experiences. What could ever bring you down? Well, something did. The next chapter... In chapter 19, the Bible says Ahab went home and he tells his wife, Jezebel, everything that this warrior named Elijah, this great guy, this incredible powerhouse, he tells her everything uh, that she, he tells her everything that he did, including how he killed 450 prophets of Baal. And it got old Jezebel upset. She got all upset. Sends word, you know, may God, the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just like you killed them. Next verse of scripture, Elijah got worried. You mean to tell me that you squared nose to nose to the king of Israel who wants to kill you and shrugged it off. You, you called fire down from heaven that consumed an entire sacrifice, killed 450 false prophets, predicted the end of a drought, and ran faster than a chariot and horses, and an upset woman scares you. Maybe he was being wise. I don't know. You don't mess with an angry lady. All right. You run. Elijah, man, you just, what, what do you mean you're worried? What do you mean you're afraid? Do you know what you just witnessed? Do you know what you just had to, the privilege of experiencing and now you're running for your life from perhaps the weakest of any of those? Man. Sometimes we think our successes set us up to be free from worry and fear. It won't. So he's afraid. He flees. He, he, he runs away. and He goes to Beersheba, to a town in Judah. And then he does something there. When he's worrying and afraid, he leaves his servant alone or by himself. So Elijah's now isolating himself because he's afraid and worried. 
we do it, don't we? Sometimes we just kind of get away from positive influence. We withdraw. That's what Elijah did. He goes alone into the wilderness, bad place to be, traveling by day. He sits under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he would just die. You looking at the wording here? I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. We're talking about a man who had amazing victories go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And I I just want to tell you right now that that can be how we are in our lives. And it means we're probably somewhat normal. That this is why I get some, some comfort in that. That even the greatest of the great have grief every now and then. And even though warriors in Scripture feel weak every now and then, even though the ones who are mighty feel like they are very minute every now and then, it doesn't matter how many successes that we have, we are never above feeling the pressure of fear and worry. That's what happened to Elijah. His worry, his fear, his just simple humanity did not disqualify him from being mightily used of God. Maybe it was his greatest qualifier. Elisha begins to lament to God. God's a great place to dump off all your frustrations. Facebook is not. All right. Put your thunder thumbs away and pray for a while. And don't, you know, dump everything out on the ether for everyone else to see. He laments to God. You know, probably what he's saying here would be a Facebook post. Really. I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one. Poor me. It's only me. No one else feels my pain. I'm sorry if I'm punching a nerve. I don't mean to. I just find great comfort in people being people in the Bible. I'm the only one left. Ever said that? No one gets it but me. No one understands this whole thing but me. Man, no one loves God but me. No one's praying but me. No one's doing nothing but me. I, I just saw me. It's a little insecurity, but anyhow. Funny when we're worried and fearful how drastic our perception of reality changes. That's why you're never supposed to trust your first thought, but pray that thought through truth. And the Lord has a reply to Elijah. See, what God does to you and I when we're in our worrisome storms and fearful attitudes, he begins to confront it with truth. He will not validate your fearful worry. You're right, Elijah. You should just die. You know what, Elijah? You are the only one. Elijah, you, you, you know what? You have a right to be fearful. He didn't do that. That's not what Jesus does. That's not what the Bible says the Lord does. He will not validate your fear and worry till it drives you further. He'll confront it with the only thing that can help redirect the course of our minds, and that is the truth of what he speaks. How does God help us, and how does life help us with our worry? It's when we stop looking at the lies that are in front of us, and we believe the truth that God speaks to us. Hello? 
That's how we begin to course correct. The Lord says, by the way, Elijah, you're not the only one, man. I'm going to confront that self-loathing lie that you are coping with and helping yourself go to sleep with at night. You are not the only person here. There are 7,000 other people who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So what does God do? He speaks truth to the perceived worrisome, fearful lie that Elijah is hanging on to. And after he does this for Elijah, what does he do? He gets him up on his feet, gets up to eat, get a good rest, go find a friend, and get back on mission. There's power in that, folks. All right? There's power when God speaks truth to you. There's power when God says you need good physical health. There's power in that when you go find someone who can come alongside of you and help you back towards the mission that God has for you. So the Lord was digging Elijah up out of his pit of fearful worry because he wasn't done with Elijah yet. And can I say this? God's not done with you either. God's not finished with anybody in this room. I read this, and I feel like it sums it up pretty well. Elijah grew anxious when he was rebuked. While he was anticipating a moment of triumph, his lofty hopes were crushed. He became sick at heart. Up until this point, Elijah had been the epitome of spiritual courage. He now collapses, runs away when Israel most needs its, his leadership, possibly missing the chance for national repentance and turns suicidal. He suffered from spiritual anxiety, a specific kind of anxiety that is related to those who are committed to God. His anxiety, along with many other Bible characters, alerts us that being committed to God does not necessarily exempt us from being anxious. So I give you some hope. God can help you in the anxious moments of life because he is the definition of truth and truth will help you perceive outside of the lie and understand the value of the truth he's speaking to you. So I have a question for you. Where is your worry and anxiety taking you? Is it putting you in bad relationships? Is it causing you to, to hurt yourself physically? Is it keeping you up at night? Is it destroying some element of your faith? What is it doing to you? For Elijah, it isolated him, and it blacked out the hope that God would intervene and help him. He was living an outcome that would never happen. That's the power of worry. And God tested Elijah's worry and his theory with truth, because truth is the antidote to worry. So what reality are you living in that has not been tested and filtered through truth? Are you believing a lie? In John chapter 8, verse 44, this is Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil. You are of the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, he has always hated truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Notice the description that Jesus gives the devil. He doesn't talk about exorcisms and illnesses and terrifying nightmares and pitchforks and horns. 
The devil's primary weapon against God's people is lying. It's lying. It's to twist truth. Basically, it's this. Get people to believe a lie, and the rest will take care of itself. Are you believing a lie? What are you worrying about that is controlling and taking precious time and energy that's never going to happen in the first place? Is there something in your life that you have yet to test against the truth of Scripture, yet you believe it to be as true as Scripture? The devil spins and slips and delivers lies and deception then tries to block you from verifying it with Scripture, and he appeals to your human desire. Because here's the thing. Take note of this. If he can bind his twisted truth to a strong human emotion, he has a foothold. Because you believe it so strong. Because when we feel it to be true and then we believe it to be true, well, it's got to be true because I'm never wrong. Don't you realize that people filter life through fragments of truth and lie, and then when we believe something to be so concrete, we begin to build a life on it, we need to be careful that we're not building it on lies or false truths. I don't think we can expect to never feel worry or experience anxiety. I think it's going to happen. That's not practical or attainable. But Jesus wants, to under, wants us to understand that those types of emotions don't have to control and to dominate our lives. So Jesus gives us some keys on how to live free as we can and overcome worry. The message puts it this way. I'm going to read it to you. It's found in Matthew 6, verses 30, 30 and 33. Jesus says, steep your life in three things. God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Three things Jesus tells us that we need to steep our life into or put ourselves into and don't be quick to take them away from. So three things that we can put into practice every single day to help control the mind because we need truth in here, don't we? If you're getting up and the first thing you're checking is Facebook and Instagram and the news, you're already starting off on the wrong foot. You've just, you've just set your filter to chaos, confusion, and to hurt. What you put in here, what goes into your mind, sets the course every single day. So start it off correctly. Steep yourself in truth. A lot of us, and I don't mean to be rude or crude or anything like that, but we would do a whole lot better for a couple of months if we discontinued Netflix and Disney and Prime and Facebook and Instagram. Our health and our minds would probably come back a little bit. And the news... Do you realize if you are a news hound and you'd never stop reading the news that you're damaging yourself? Because you and I, we were never designed to take in that much negativity. Only God can handle that much chaos. You can't handle seven hours a day of CNN. You can't do it. You won't sleep well. It'll dominate your conversations. And you've just jammed up anything positive because it's now all it's swirling around in the muck of your mind is all the bad things happening and half of them aren't even true. And then we carry it with us. And then our kids hear about it. 
and then it's our conversations at work, and then it's all we talk about on the dinner table. There comes a point when Jesus says, steep yourselves in three things, that we say, okay, these three things, Jesus, I'm going to give you the bulk of my mind with. And if something comes knocking on your cranium's door that wants in to start spewing off negativity, or it's a a person who they are just negative Nelly. I don't mean if you're Nelly here that you're negative. I don't mean that. I had a dear old sister back home whose name was Sister Nelly. I loved her, and she was not negative. It just rhymes, okay? My wife and I had this conversation the other day. If you're super negative, not, not to each other, all right? <laughs> Woo, time out. <laughs> time out. I just said, you know what, babe? If people just want to be this geyser of negativity, 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 you're not getting in my circle. I wish there was a real-life delete button. Just get out of my, you don't have to be around everyone who's negative. That'll mess with your thinking. And you'll adopt their worry and adopt their confusion. Just got to be careful. Is that all right? So God gives us three initiatives. We're going to get to them right now. You've been like, come on, man. You've been like five minutes here trying to get us to these, things, these three things. The first thing that God said to, to Jesus said to steep yourself in was a God reality. Everyone say a reality. Live in a God-centered reality. Don't live in a social media reality or a digital reality. Live in a God-centered reality. Meaning I filter my life's choices and events where I go, who I'm with, through principles of the word. If the Bible validates what I'm doing, that's a God reality. I'm going to do that. Filter your situation through truth and not how you feel. We are whimsical at best. We are roller coasters emotionally. All right, up one minute, down the next, off the tracks the next day. We're not consistent Sorry to bust your bubble. You're not consistent emotionally. So don't live in an emotional reality. Live in a God-centered, truth-built reality because truth doesn't change. Whether it's the Word of God or truth, in fact, in life, they don't change. One plus one, it's two. It's never going to change. So filter life through principles of the Word of God. Live in a God reality, not in emotions. Emotions flow from your thoughts. Be sure your thoughts are grounded in truth, scriptural truth. So the thoughts that are swirling around your mind from the devil and from people, have you ever fact-checked that? Or does it just feel so good to believe it, you're just going to carry on with it? Feels good, so it's got to be true. No, fact-check that. Have you ever fact-checked anything? I am sure that when I have preached, people have fact-checked what I've said during a sermon. Let's just see if that's true. If you don't like that, Google search, reword it, and you'll find something that fits your bill. Oh, there, I like that one. But fact-check what the devil says through to you through Scripture. Don't believe him if he says you're not loved. You are loved. 
Don't believe him when he says you're not free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You can back yourself up and fact check what the devil's saying to you on truth, not an emotional feeling. And then when you get in the mode of truth, speak that over your life. There's power in that, everybody. Power in speaking the truth of the word over your life and family because that is grounded, it is steady, it is sure. Don't say it don't feel right. It is right. It's the truth. And truth never changes. Fact check the devil. Look to make sure information is credible and truthful, backed with this beautiful thing called evidence. Fact check the devil. Live in a God reality. Don't live in an emotional reality. Live in a God-centered reality. And then live in this next one. Live in a God initiative. It's God's process that he gives you to live. He cho- You know what? God is the great initiator in this whole thing. He's choosing you. He's reaching for you. He wants to forgive you. He came to die for you. He wants to pour his spirit out in your life. And when he comes back again for the church, he's coming back for you. This whole thing that we have around us is because God initiated that for his love for you and I. So every day, get this in your mind, every day you have all manner of people pulling your attention that they're trying to initiate with you to get your attention, to get your money, to get your mind. But don't forget that God is the greatest initiator that the world has ever experienced. Every day he calls to you. Every day he pleads with you to come sit with him, love him, and read his word. He initiates love for you and forgiveness for you. He initiates hope for you. He initiates all the beautiful things that are ours in Scripture. He's the great initiator. Every single day, embrace the initiative of a relationship with God because you bet your bottom dollar that there's all kinds of people and businesses and social media platforms reaching for you, wanting to get notifications it's like you got someone tapping on your shoulder 35 minutes of the day hey i'm over here i'm over here and jesus is the great initiator live in that god initiative that every moment i'm alive i can connect with him because he's reaching for me i've had some pretty great encounters with jesus in the hallways of work because he's reaching for me even at work when i'm home and I'm feeling a little bit down or I'm having a hard day, he still initiates relationship with me. Live in the initiative of God every day. Every day. He initiates that. Is that all right? Last but not least, live in God's provisions. Oh, my soul. Live in God's provisions. If I think it's long, you must think it's really long. If I went, oh, my goodness, now, you did it 20 minutes ago, didn't you? Golly, man. God, reality, God's initiative. And and Jesus said to help reduce worry. Because if you read Matthew 6 in his block of Scripture, 24 to 33, if you read that, it's how he wants his people to live above worry and concern. Not ignore it, but not letting it dominate. And he says, steep yourself in my reality. Understand I'm always reaching for you, and you always have access to me. And then this is a great one. Understand I'll always provide for you. That's not just material that we have to preach with. He is a phenomenal provider for what we need. He might not give you what you want, 
But no good parent does. He'll give you what you need. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I want to urge someone today to have faith in God's ability to provide for you. Man, I feel that in my heart today. To fulfill your physical needs and also your spiritual needs, he can provide for you. Can we raise our hands right now? I feel like someone just needs to understand that today. Amen. Someone, maybe you're here tonight and you're struggling with that. Can God provide? And I, I just feel a real silent, sweet witness in my heart that I want to give somebody a word that God's going to provide for you in the perfect timing. Amen. The perfect way he possibly can. God's going to provide in due time. Keep faithful, keeping your God reality, keeping God initiative, and he's going to continue to provide. He's not left you. He's not looking past you. He's going to provide for you. Mmm. Man, I feel that in my heart today. Someone needs to hear that. But God provides differently than we think he should. We trust his way of providing, and he can provide what he can provide, and we might not like it. That's what happened to the Israelites. They wanted food that they had back in Egypt. They didn't want what God was giving them in the desert, which was bread from heaven. They preferred food back in Israel or back in Egypt. So sometimes God will give us something that we might not want, but don't reject it. It's what you need. So if you're here tonight and you're wanting provision in a specific way, I want you to start praying in, in this manner. God, help me see how you want me to receive this provision. It might not be what I want. Help me know it's what you're giving me for what I need. And he'll keep providing. John Piper says this, and I love it. What is the deepest root of your joy? What God gives, gives to you or what God is to you? God graciously guides us into greater realization that our ultimate <clears throat> need is for more of his word, of his ways, and more of him. Let's all stand, give you some good hope here that we're wrapping up Three things to help us in worrisome seasons is God reality, God initiative, <clears throat> and God provision. Last verse of Scripture, Matthew 6, 34. Because here's what worry does to us, doesn't it? Worry and fear rob us of the right now. Thank you, bro. They rob us of the right now. Everyone say right now. Thank you for breaking that awkward silence. Right now. Woo. What's in that water, man? My soul. <laughs> you see, worry does something. You get worried about the future. Man, how am I going to pay the bills? What's the doctor report going to be? How's this conversation going to go? How's this relationship going to pan out? The list goes on. And then you're worried about what happened yesterday. I can't believe this happened. How'd that happen? I can't believe I said that. Did it really go down like that? Oh, my goodness. How will that impact my future? And you see what the devil likes to do is get you so bogged out about yesterday and worrying about tomorrow that you miss right now. And can I say something? There's nothing, man, there's nothing more beautiful than 822 right now. 
Not because I'm coming to a close either. But there's nothing more beautiful than the right now. Right now is the most precious thing you have in your entire life. It's the moment that God's allowed you to understand he is with you. Man, I feel God's presence. He's with you right now. Man, I feel God. Jesus says these words in 6 and 34 of Matthew. Give your attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen to tomorrow. He'll help you deal with that, whatever hard thing comes up when the time comes. But I want to tell somebody, give your attention to what he's doing in your life right now. You see, God's provisions of our needs does not guarantee a life without problems. Don't misunderstand me. But we do not need to multiply our problems by worrying about them before they even happen. God knows about them. Thank God for that. And he can be trusted to deal with them when the time comes. Can I say it like this? He has your back. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. I don't say it flippantly. Just listen. You got right now, God's going to help you today and help you tomorrow. Last verse of Scripture, 1 Peter 5 and 7. I love this. Before we read it, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is your worry right now? I think when I've been talking, some things have probably surfaced a little bit. Can you name the worry? You picture it, feel it, fear it, absorb it. Is it a part of you? What's your worry? What's your worry? I want you to take your hands and just kind of get ready to hold your hands out to God for a minute. This is going to connect in your spirit, I believe. Just kind of get ready to hold your hands up to God. Whatever that worry is, whatever that concern is, Whatever the conflicting thought that's coming into your mind right now saying, you know what, it's always going to be this way, it's never going to change, whatever that might be, I want you to say, you know what, I'm going to step back from that worry for a moment, and I'm going to do what Peter told me to do in 1 Peter 5 and 7. He says, give all your worries. That word means anxieties. Give them all to all your cares to God because he cares for you. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.